0: RAC's post podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. 41 years after arriving in the Northern Territory, General Surgeon Associate Professor Philip Carson has retired from clinical practice. Over the years, Phil's experience has been wide and varied. His patients have included Territorians on the receiving end of crocodile attacks, victims flown in from the 2002 Bali bombings, and in 2008 he operated on former president of East Timor-Leste, Jose Ramos-Horta, who was shot twice in the upper chest and in the stomach. Although they make good newspaper headlines and were exciting at the time, they weren't the highlights in Phil's eyes. You'll hear why shortly. Although retired from daily surgery... Associate Professor Carson continues his active engagement with the college in surgical education, governance of cancer services and facilitating the delivery of surgical services across Australia's vast and remote areas. First, Chris Ashmore asks Phil what brought him to the top end all those years ago.
1: When I chose to do medicine as a young high school student with no medical background or no medical family background, uh, the intention even then was to serve in some area that there were few doctors. So we were inspired by, you know, both on a worldwide scene and within Australia of people who had done that. And so I wanted to train initially as a uh, widely skilled GP to work in that sort of remote environment. So in my second year out, we went to Alice Springs as an RMO, thinking that would be a good place to train. And indeed it was. There was some very inspiring specialists there working in multiple areas, and I did multiple terms, including obstetrics and psychiatry and paediatrics. But when I did the surgical term, I worked with a man called John Hawkins, and John had been there for almost 20 years, initially as the sole surgical person providing for that enormous area in Central Australia. And he was very, impressed me. He was a quiet man, very competent over a wide range of surgery and providing this wonderful service for the people of Central Australia. And so I thought at the time, well, perhaps that would be the way to go. Rather than a GP, I'd become a very generalist surgeon. And so I studied for and sat for the surgical primary as it was in those days, then applied for basic surgical training in Adelaide, and I was knocked back and told it was slightly unrealistic to expect to get into surgical training from Alice Springs. So with that knockback, there was an opportunity arose in Darwin to be the first orthopaedic registrar to the new orthopod there, Steve Badley, and so we spent a year in Darwin doing that, and then later got into basic surgical training in Adelaide. So those three years in the Territory, two in Alice springs and one in Darwin, certainly opened our eyes to the Territory and to the needs and the opportunities there. And then we had quite a, um, a varied path from there, so... In Adelaide, we applied for advanced surgical trainings. that it was in those days, and once again got knocked back. So um, thinking, having embarked on the surgical pathway, we then decided to go to England and work for several years and got the Edinburgh Fellowship. And our aim at that time was to work in Nepal. We'd been working towards this for some time. So we came back from England for the, a couple more years just to prepare for that. And two things happened in that time. One is the Mission Society we were planning to work with, actually rejected us also uh, as being not made of the right stuff to go to Nepal. And at the same time, the superintendent from Darwin was doing a recruitment trip and came down and specifically sought us out and said, we'd like you to come back to Darwin. But at that stage, I didn't have an Australian fellowship. And this uh, pretty wonderful group of senior colleagues around town came together and put quite a bit of pressure on the censor-in-chief at the time, which is a bit... Well, it's a bit funny, I guess, now that I'm the censor-in-chief, but I can imagine the poor bloke at the time getting all this pressure from colleagues in Adelaide saying, look, this bloke's been been around, He's, he needs an Australian fellowship, how can we make this work? And eventually, I was admitted in a sort of an IMG pathways, partially comparable, and did a few more years and the exam, and in those years, I sought to round out my skills in surgery in areas that would be relevant to Darwin. So I did uh, thoracics and plastics and vascular and neurosurgery. And we came back to Darwin in 1990. I had this very prolonged, slightly unusual training pathway, but was very well prepared for the multiple challenges across you know multiple surgical areas that uh, would be part of my life from then on. What does it mean to you, Phil, to have been such a integral part of the local and surgical community of the Northern Territory. I guess being embedded in a community, living within a community, kids growing up in that community and then serving that same community has led to immense satisfaction over the years in terms of building long-term relationships. And Darwin and the Northern Territory is a very stimulating environment. It's environmentally, it's different than much of the rest of Australia and quite harsh at times in the build-up and the, the wet. And of course, Population-wise, it's pretty unique too. I've got a large number of Indigenous Australians who we live and work amongst, and that's a great privilege. But more than that, there's people from all over the world. It's a very multicultural place, and so lots of different influences there. And it's really been a great privilege to live and work amongst the community of Darwin and the Northern Territory generally. Absolutely, and uh, no doubt you've done a lot, you've seen a lot in your career. What are some of the best highlights and memorable experiences you can share? Well, there's a few things that made the national and even international papers at times, and they were exciting times, but in fact, looking back at a clinical lifetime, they're not the most, well, they're not the things that stand out as highlights to me. And it's really one of our big aims and I guess mantras almost over the years that's been bringing excellent surgical services to over barriers of distance and culture. And some success in that has really been where I feel the highlight of my time working as a clinical surgeon. So it's getting to know all those patients and their families and working through many difficult times in their lives. And in fact, uh, you know, often their deaths as well. That whole stimulation and challenge and occasional frustrations of trying to deliver services across cultural barriers has been a very significant part of life. And we've certainly seen improvements in that, marked improvements really over the years as we start understanding other people's worldview and working in partnership with people rather than just working in a cloud of mystification on both sides. Mm. So that's been a, a real highlight too. And I guess just seeing over the years of building up teams of people to provide these services has been a highlight too. So that involves the local teams, so gradually many more surgical colleagues have joined with us in this endeavour, but working with physicians and ICU specialists and anaesthetists and radiologists, etc., all of which have built up enormously over the last 30 years, has been a highlight, uh, let alone not to uh, neglect those in administration and the nursing teams and so forth, which have just taken on the challenge of providing excellent surgical services in a place that's pretty isolated from major centres. And the other highlight over the years has been working in teamwork with subspecialists. So in every area we've done as a generalist, we're often or patients will often benefit from more specialist uh, guidance and input. So we've been able to build up a panel of mentors and colleagues throughout the country who uh, have been incredibly generous in their advice and their input into uh, various cases and in fact building up hold services uh, often and that's been incredibly satisfying for me personally for the the whole hospital team and for the people of the Territory, they're getting access to the best advice they can be via this teamwork that we've built up with a whole panel of collaborators elsewhere. And I guess the other highlight after life is this involvement, this lifelong learning that goes on when you work with students and RMOs, trainees, fellows, consultant fellows and people from other specialties, and that learning together often prompted by difficult clinical problems that patients and their families have, has been a real highlight of my life. That's terrific. Anything you'll miss about being a surgeon? Oh, there's lots. (laughs) And I guess mostly it will be that very special relationship you have with patients and their families as they go through the various challenges that brings them to surgeons. And that's often been a very rich time, sometimes very stressful for both sides, but certainly that's a thing I will miss. And working with these various colleagues I've mentioned too has been, it's a daily delight usually to be working in this team environment and I will miss that. And the challenge and discipline that operating brings, I'm sure I'll also miss. So much has changed over the years. When I first came back in 1990, minimal access surgery was just a dream in most areas. And now, of course, we do most of our operations through small entries with much improved patient experience. And so just the way to introducing new techniques and going has been a challenge, often anxiety-provoking, but also very rewarding. I'm going to miss that. And I guess there's lots of other things I will miss too, but one other thought I had is that I will and won't miss that constant daily worrying and perhaps burden that having other people's lives in your hands that is a constant part of being a clinical surgeon. And so that has been both a privilege and a very stimulating thing over the years. But I think just not having that constant awareness of patients who are under my care and needing direction and decisions will be a releasing thing as well and allow perhaps us to, to turn our mind elsewhere. With the experience you've had, Phil, what advice would you give to any young medical graduate looking to embark on a career in surgery? well it's always been a privilege to i guess be involved in people at the beginning of their career and certainly looking back from this other end of a clinical lifetime it gives a perspective on life, I guess. And as I explained you know, in that first question, sometimes life doesn't always work out as we originally planned it. So I would advise a young person thinking about surgery that it is, it's a difficult pathway and a bit difficult undertaking both to become a surgeon and to have a life as a surgeon. But like all things worthwhile, it's certainly worth the effort and the dedication that it requires. So I'd certainly recommend it to anybody who wants an interesting stimulating and rewarding path in life surgery is for them the other thing i would advise from my experience is that is to keep a balance between the rather inward looking developing my career if you like versus the perspective of serving the community and i think as you enter a profession like medicine and like surgery we actually voluntarily enter a profession which puts others' needs in front of our own. And that's the very definition of a profession. And in that particular aspect, I think as people develop their career and develop their skills and qualifications in surgery, we should be thinking about it in terms of what can we give the community with these skills and things that I'm requiring rather than what they can do for me. So I'd encourage that outward looking perspective for any person going to surgery. And certainly I've seen over the years that people who have perhaps have lost that vision of perhaps what they first went into medicine for can often become very cynical and a bit disillusioned, in fact, whereas that awareness that you're actually serving others and doing some good does keep is very stimulating and, and keeps your enthusiasm going. And I guess as a subset of that, there's all sorts of ways of serving the community. And certainly we're not doing it well in Australia at the moment in terms of distribution of surgeons. And so at least a third of people going to surgery should be thinking about being a surgeon living in a remote rural or regional area and serving that part of the population that lives there. And we're not getting there at the moment. So I'd certainly be encouraging some young surgeons to, or at least a third of young surgeons, to be thinking of that sort of career. And for the others who are in metropolitan areas and end up often subspecialising in areas, even then, it's very important to think of how to spread that expertise that they're providing, whether it's in clinical surgery, research, or other expertise that they develop, how to spread that through the whole population. So uh, years ago now, we had a young PhD student working in the Territory, Russell Gruen, who may be well known to many of our listeners, is a very high profile professor and now Dean of Medicine at ANU. And he came up looking at this problem of how do we get services to the whole community? And the usual way we as surgeons often look at activity and say how many operations we're doing, what sort of operations, how good they are, and how many people we're seeing in clinic. And what Russell taught me is to look up from what we're doing and look out and try to look at the people we're not reaching. So he went out to a remote community for a year or so and rather than counting what uh, surgeons were doing, he tabulated and investigated the needs of that community and then was able to see what the unmet needs were. And so I think whatever field any young surgeon goes into, I would encourage them to think about how to get their particular skills and their particular things they're bringing to the table out to the whole community, especially the ones that are not immediately in front of their face or they're not aware of. So um, I reckon if I gave that advice to enough young surgeons, we could make a real difference in the provision of surgical services in our community. Wise words. Well, Phil, you've had quite a distinguished and incredible career. What now? What's the future for you? Well, few priorities. Initially, I have to cook many more meals for my wife <laughs> to try to make up the balance that or the imbalance that's been over the years. So certainly a little bit more time for wife and family will be essential and much appreciated. And with that, a bit of extra time, I guess, from the lack of daily clinical work, I aim to do a little bit more reading and thinking and perhaps uh, writing, and that will be, I've just welcome the time to do that. There's a few ongoing roles. My role as the Censor-in-Chief goes on for another year and I've got some other roles with Cancer Australia and the Liquor Commission that will be going on. And one of the great things about the involvement with the college, especially with the college over the years, has been some insight and gaining some skills in governance and policy, education, et cetera. And so I'll be looking for some other areas to use those skills. And as someone very insightful said at my retirement to just the other day, I said, this is not so much a time of retirement, it's reorientation. And that's the sort of way I'm viewing it. So this lack of the constancy of clinical surgery is actually opening up possibilities to serve in other ways. And I'm looking forward to what that holds in the future.
0: Associate Professor Phil Carson. RAC's Post-Op Podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.